0: Hello and welcome to the Centiva Software Developer Podcast. My name is Blake Kohler, I'm a developer for Sentiva.
1: Hi, and I'm Daryl Brown. I'm also a software
0: developer at Santiva. Daryl is the smartest person in this room, just so you guys know, easily, easily. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about about Days of Innovation. Days of Innovation is an interesting thing that uh, Santiva does. Santiva uh, feels like there's real value in being able to let us innovate and come up with new solutions to problems that we may have outside of our normal projects. And so about every quarter, we'll take a few days to be able to... um, work on whatever projects we feel add value to the company. These can be external products, they could be internal tools, and we thought we'd talk a little bit about some of our favorite products and one of our, or favorite projects uh, rather, and one of my favorites was actually uh, uh, developed by Daryl, and we we call it Packrat. You can tell us a little bit about Packrat and where you came up with it, what it is, and and why you felt like it was something worth spending time on.
1: Sure, Uh, so to start with some of the context The reason why we had this in the first place, or why we needed this tool, is that at this time we were developing a software project with multiple modules to it, but there was a lot of shared code. Uh, The challenge came in that we wanted to be able to develop, uh, to deploy each of the modules separately. There's separate web servers, separate databases and everything, but yet they still shared a lot of the same underlying code. Uh, For instance, the, the database models and things like that. And what happened is this means that as we got three or four modules, that we had copies, exact copies of all of these files that would have to be deployed everywhere. And we'd have a single installer to do it. Um, Since the deployment was off-site, it was at at the customer's location and we had to connect through a VPN. It took a long time to upload a large installer. So what I did is I said, well, why don't we find a way to Look for duplicate files in here and make sure that this installer never has more than one copy of each distinct file and so that's where packrat came from so what i did is uh, when you run packrat it it computes a hash of every file adds that hash to a manifest along with where this file exists and then once the manifest is built it will copy one one of those instances of each of those unique hashes into a pack folder and then delete everything else. So now we have exactly one copy of every file, then when we unpack it, it just does the inverse. It says, it looks at the manifest and says, well, the file with this hash belongs in these three folders and it will move all of those things back. And by doing that, we were able to reduce our, uh, the the size of our installer file by over half, over 50%, so it's less than half the size of the original and that could save just minutes you know it saved quite a bit of time on the upload of these things and then uh so that was a one of those projects where we had this need it was was something that was causing us pain in our
0: process and i just wanted to find a way to solve that as to remember uh you may not remember but we we do these demos at the end of days of innovation to show everybody else everything worked on and uh, you get this uh kind of applause after you present, right? You did this thing, you know, people politely applause, uh, applaud. And uh, I remember after yours, the applause wasn't polite. It was like, people were were very happy that you would solve this problem. Remember our, our DevOps people in general were very happy of all of a sudden we, I don't have to spend all this time waiting to upload this giant thing. We cut it down. Um, and I still we're, think we're still using it in various places today, right? Yeah, we do. Uh- a few things have changed so it's not quite as useful as it was at that moment
1: but there, our installers still does have some duplication especially in shared libraries that we use
0: as you know, so long as we have the same version of a dependency uh, it still helps with that, yeah. Interesting do you remember where you first came up with the solution? Like, Was it something you, you had an idea of in general or, or was it? did you have an aha moment? Like, What was the how did this, the genesis of the solution, how did that happen? Right, so um, I think it's a little bit of all of the
1: above. So there definitely was an aha moment, like, you know, how, how can we get rid of these things? But at a previous job, I wanted to, I was tasked with creating uh, kind of a self-updater for a system that we had. This was a, a system that was supposed to be on some, it was on PCs, but it was kind of an embedded system that uh, they didn't want to do a lot of maintenance on. So what I did is I set up a web server that each of these machines would look to to see if there was a software update. Uh, But rather than do the Apple thing and just download everything, the entire installer, every time anything changes, Mm -hmm. because again, these were machines that were not really beefy, they didn't have a lot of bandwidth, they didn't have a lot of storage. I didn't wanna make it so they had to download the entire installer package every time. So what I did is I I did a similar thing where uh, when we created the installer, it wasn't just a single thing that you run, but it was actually a manifest of all the files. So here are all the files that belong in this deployment. And then what you can do is that on the, on the client machine, it would connect, it would download the manifest, compare that to what it has already, and say, well, oh, looks like this, I really only need this handful of files. So let me copy everything I have that is in the manifest into the new folder, download just the, the files that I need, and get the update running. Because most of our updates were really incremental, you know, the, just only a handful of files would change, uh-huh. most of them not very big. Uh, so, that experience in the past of doing this sort of a thing with a manifest uh, kind of jogged my memory. You know, I'd already done the hashing of the files, I knew how to do that, um, and I knew that, you know, with that hash, I could guarantee the uniqueness of things, and mm-hmm. just like a SHA 256 hash or something like that. So, I didn't have to worry too much about collisions or so that plus the epiphany that I can combine that with this need to find duplicates and then just select just one copy, just led to that solution.
0: And it really didn't take very long to implement. It's a fairly simple tool, but... Uh, frankly, I thought it was genius. It was one of those things where we'd all known about the problem, um, but, it, but it was just an elegant solution to it. I'm curious, do you have any plans for, up, I was gonna say upgrading it or updating in the future? Do you have any other thoughts of places you could utilize it in our current process or in in other places do you think would be worthwhile?
1: Yeah, uh, I haven't thought of any new places to use it. This installer is a little bit unique because it did have a lot of duplication, I knew that. I can't think of a lot of other places where this is an issue. Um, Right now, it's fairly simple. When it computes the manifest and does all the deduplication, basically ends up with a folder with one unique file in it for everything. Uh, I've thought about Making it a little bit more selective on what you include with those, so maybe I'm okay with duplication in some places, but not in other places. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's it's pretty naive and just does everything, mm. but that may be unnecessary. I can say that I know these things are always unique, or even if they're distinct, I don't. If they're not unique, I don't really care. Uh, but I I haven't
0: really had a need to do that because it, it's pretty quick too. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've always loved with it is it has the perfect name for what it does. How would you come up with a name? Uh, like like that, that sounds a silly question and it's superfluous kind of to the conversation, but really, the the fact that it described what we're doing uh, in a uh, you know kind of a self-contained metaphor was awesome.
1: I'm trying to remember who it was that I was riffing on names with it. it might have been Josh. I don't remember, but at the time when I made this, I'm like, oh, we gotta have a name for this. What should we call it? You know, I'm gonna pack these things up and. And I, I think just throwing out a few ideas, going back and forth and just settle on and like, yeah, that's the one, that's the name. And I like it. I do too, I really do. You think that's your favorite Dave innovation project? Um, it's right up there. It, it was a lot of fun and it was really quick. I think I had time even to help out with something else because that didn't take me the entire time. Uh, another project that we use wasn't necessarily Dave innovation, but it's a similar idea it was the, the TypeScripter. Yeah. We had this need where we were using Angular 2 on the front end, and we have all the models from the server, but we were having a little bit of a trouble, having some trouble keeping all of the client models in sync with the server models, and we had seen that there was a product out there called Typewriter, but it, uh-huh. was, it didn't quite do exactly what we wanted. It wasn't quite integrated the way we wanted it to be, so I ended up creating TypeScripter, which we could integrate with our server-side build process to automatically generate those models.
0: It's amazing how much I rely on TypeScript for now, um, but I, I do remember complaining to you about... So I'd gone to ng and we decided we were going to make that change to Angular 2, um, which was probably a horrible decision, which is another <laughs> podcast in and of itself. Not that Angular 2 is bad, or Angular 6 or whatever, but at the time, it was in release candidate 1, which really was like alpha 1 is where it probably should have been. Uh, as, as it changed drastically, um, but, but we loved using TypeScript and it was awesome. But keeping these models and was painful, um, and, and the evolution of this thing is really interesting for me because, uh, at the time my wife had been, just gotten pregnant and she was in that super sick, but my wife gets ridiculously sick. And so, but she's still in that, that, that early phase of pregnancy, very, very sick and just kind of announced it to people. Um, and so we're working on this. And I remember complaining to you one day, and we finding that that uh, the, what was a typewriter? Was that what yeah. called? Finding typewriter, and thinking like this is close but not quite. And then I basically left for a month. I, I came in occasionally, but but I worked from home, and, and I uh, I was I was out because my wife was that sick. And I came back, and all of a sudden there was just this new cool thing, that just worked. Um, and and now it's ubiquitous. I think at Sentiva, right? It's all yeah, over the place. All of our Angular two projects are using it. I mean, it was really interesting because uh, there's there's a fair debate amongst people in Centiva about how to architect things or or what tools to use. I mean, there's still a debate of Angular versus React or or back when We made a switch recently to a mediator, uh, kind of a I would say CQRS framework, but that's not really. Uh, how we're using it but uh, over some other things there's debate about all these things there's no debate over typescript right <laughs> like it's got to make you feel good that you build a tool that yeah. is just beloved and people will use it on yeah. personal projects and use it all over the place that one is really satisfying to me but you know packrats a great tool but you don't really see
1: that unless you're messing with the installer it just yep. it just kind of fades into our deployment process uh, but TypeScript is something that we inter- interface with every day and we're, just every day we make a
0: change. We're just happy that's there, keeping things in sync. It's one of those things where I take it for granted and then when I come back and uh, go maybe just do an Angular CLI project and start using something and uh, have models and then all of a sudden you know, they got out of sync and something's wrong and I wonder what the heck's happening and realize like, oh yeah, I forgot to do TypeScript or... It's just part of my process now. I just expect it to work. It's tooling that has become so integral to what i do uh, I, I a lot of ways i think of it kind of as resharper right i do control t on resharper now and that's just i go to somebody else's computer and try and use it and think why is your keyboard broken right like i don't think about i have these tooling installed that they do it's just there and i mean that is uh, a tremendous i i hope to one day be able to build something like that that i think people love as much as typescript or it is really up there in in the tools that people love and it'd be a great thing to be able to distribute even more widely uh, I think, right. is it. I think that'll happen kind of organically as well, as we have people, for lack of a better word, graduate from Centiva and move on to other things. I, I think that'll be something people take with them and share in other, other places. I think there's still a lot of room to improve there. It is on
1: GitHub, it's, it's available there, but um, I think there's a lot of work that could be done to make it a little bit more customizable and more e- easier to tailor to the uses that you need because sure. it, it's very much opinionated the way we work here. Yes. Uh, there's, there's a few things we do there, but if you wanted to make it a little less opinionated,
0: I, I think I could do some things there to make that happen. Sure. And well. I, I think there's reason been work done on it for .NET Core, right, and, and Core 2 at this point, right? Um, but, yeah. Right, and to, to get it working there. So there's always going to be little bits of work on it, but um, it is interesting, uh, just as you mentioned, right, it, it does match the opinions that we have here, and maybe that's why I feel like it, it fits so you know, glove in hand for me, or hand in glove, because I've helped shape the opinions that we have here, and I've been shaped by those opinions. Maybe somebody coming from an outside perspective may not quite have that same opinion, and may then not feel it fits as much. So I didn't think about it. They might have an experience like we had
1: with typewriter. Sure, I'm sure that fits somebody else's process really well, and that's exactly the tool they needed.
0: But it just didn't work for us. Yeah. Have you gone back and compared TypeScript to Typewriter now? I doing? I should do that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I do wonder if they've evolved or if we've evolved more back towards what they're doing. I, I do wonder, because um, our our understanding of TypeScript and Angular were poor, probably, <laughs> uh, is a good way to describe it. Uh, non-existent, maybe? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, were, we were just barely getting into it. Um, and, and to be fair, it was bleeding edge. Uh, where we we're at. So, um, and it has led to some, some good things. So it definitely wasn't necessarily a day of innovation project, but definitely shows uh, an example of innovating. One last piece of innovation that I'll, I'll talk to you about because I know it is, can you tell us a little bit about our, your audit reverter and to do so, I guess we may want to explain a little bit about our testing process and and why it's why the audit reverter would be useful. Okay. So to, to back up a little bit, um, Basically, every application
1: that we write needs some kind of a an audit trail. So uh, we do a lot of work for government agencies, and they certainly like to be able to say who did what. Uh, the first approach that we tried was to have a, a logging table per main table. So it just doubles the number of tables. And then we had um, server-side code that, as part of the, the server-side business logic, every time a change was made, it would duplicate that change in the logging table. But what we found is that it was really hard to guarantee that developers, as they make changes, also make changes to the log table. So if you add a column, you have to go back and add a column to the log table, too. And um, I was really struggling because the product was moving and evolving very rapidly. It was a brand new product. There's so much work going on every day. But I ended up writing some tooling to try to compare what we had in our models to what was in the actual database and trying to reconcile that. But that out to just be a lot of work and always telling me that something was wrong uh, so we were really bad at keeping those in sync
0: I think at one point in time we had a team City uh, job that would run that would tell you yeah. when you got the uh, your audit log was off of right. reality basically yeah that was
1: my first attempt is like okay let's let's just make sure that we're that we have visibility into this we know we're doing something wrong man I
0: hated that because I always was uh, doing something we wrong. Did. we all did yeah uh, so
1: I said, okay, this this approach that we're taking here, this is clearly not working. Um, we need something better. So I came up with the idea to um, write some C-sharp code that would generate triggers. Every time we did an update to our database, it would look at the database schema, find all the tables that we're interested in and you know be able to include schemas or exclude tables, but look for all these tables and then create a trigger so that every time uh, that anything in that table was inserted, updated, or deleted, we would record that in the audit table. And I thought, well, okay, we could do this the same way where we have an audit table per, uh, main entity table, but that gets a little bit hard to maintain because the schemas have to match and you have to think about denormalization and some other things like that. Um, so instead what I decided to do was create a single audit table, but then unpivot all of the values. So if I have a a user with a first name and last name, one row contains the user ID, the first name, and the last name Uh, in the audit log, what that's going to turn into is uh, a set of rows. So I'll have one row that said the, you know, here's this entity, it was inserted, it has a primary key of X, and a first name of Blake, and and then, Mm -hmm. When it happened and who did it, then the next row would say it's the same thing, you know that that user record, I with the ID of X and last name of Kohler, so that that one row with two columns gets and an ID gets unpivoted into rows, two rows, each one of those rows representing one of the column values. And that table does get very large, but what that does is it gives us a a, a generic structure that we can record all changes authoritatively. And the interesting thing is it also is resilient to schema changes. So you know, everything that was logged is logged as the schema existed that day, but if I were to add another column later, I would just suddenly start seeing that new column in the audit log. Or even if I remove a column, I don't have to worry about removing anything from the audit log because I'm not actually representing things the same way. Um, So I did that, that was cool. But then we had some requirements to be able to undo some of the changes that were made. Like, well, hey, we've got this audit log, which is an authoritative list of all the operations that happened in order. And since they're done by SQL triggers, I can guarantee that if I were to just simply reverse all of.
0: Daryl was just telling us about the audit reverter. Um, I don't remember how far we got. Let's. Want to pick back up at uh...
1: so I'll, I'll go back to a little bit to i'm setting up the, the whole story why this okay. happened and yep um where we wanted to go with it so we had the the reverting working for the application to undo changes that a user had made and saved and they said oh well i don't want to do that you could automatically roll back to the state you were in before they did that and i got to thinking well we have, this, we, we have taken a lot of pains in our tests that hit the database to make sure that when our test is finished, the database isn't cluttered up with test data because that, that clutter can affect future tests if you're not careful because now the, the test might be expecting this to be in an empty state, but it's no longer empty because a prior test puts something there. So we put a lot of work into um, when we're cleaning up our tests to tear down everything that we put in. But it's a very manual process, very error-prone, lots and lots of test failures in the cleanup code because you know, we just did something wrong or we, we missed this particular situation where we have a foreign key so I can't delete this thing. There was a lot of time and effort put into maintaining our test teardown, which has just felt like time wasted. And as I got thinking about this, with my recent experience of having undone changes that the users made in the application at runtime, I I had a, the light bulb went off. Said, well, why couldn't I just do that for tests? I mean, it's the exact same problem. So I created what we call the audit reverter. Uses this auditing table, uh, as the platform for giving us the permission we need to undo all of our test changes. Uh, so, adapting what I'd done in the application to do that and. Ended up with the auto reverter and uh, it's in place now and it's actually kind of magical not to have to worry about
0: any teardown at oh, all. Oh man, that's amazing! It, I, I was just thinking about during that teardown process how often my tests would fail because I'd forget to clean up correctly. Right. right. and I'd make a change that would then all of a sudden affect how I needed to clean up in all these tests. So I'd be going back through and fixing twenty tests wrong. I'm, I'm not fixing any of the logic in the tests. I'm just fixing the the cleanup of everything. Right. And now just the auto reverter in i mean the uh, literally like four lines uh, it just works yeah and
1: we've got to put into the base class of our tests so that it just every test that starts before the test starts it figures out where where the starting point is in the audit log when the test finishes it says where am i now and let's go back to that starting point uh so as we write tests we just don't even think about it anymore we don't think about cleanup we just nope. do what we need to do write the test the the test our business logic and then let it automatically clean up
0: it's been amazing in fact uh, I started a new project recently uh, about two weeks ago um, and uh, during this days of innovation uh, one of the teams decided to take my project because it's pretty simple and new and and use that as the base for their project that they're starting with and so we uh, came up and talked to them and it yeah. It's rudimentary. The project is rudimentary. And they were claiming to me that I don't have any IOC stuff in it yet. I'm like, no, I don't need to. I don't have any authentication in it yet. I don't have anything. They said, but you put audit reverter in. I was like, well, I can't live without that. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, it was, I mean, who cares if a user is authenticated? I need to be able to revert back stuff uh, so I don't have, so my tests are easy. Right? And, and to be fair, the tests being easy make them far more likely to be written yeah right the yeah. fact that i have them in large measure is because i have audit reverter which makes it so easy right um, and i think all of this tooling whether it's a pack rat or audit reverter it comes back to that if we can make development easier we're more likely to do it the right way absolutely
1: and i think that's i think one of the common features of all of these things is that we felt some pain and then we created something to solve that pain uh, to get rid of it and I think that's where most of the really innovative and useful and loved software comes from is not necessarily doing something cool, but solving real problems, making my life better in some measurable way. And so that's what I like about these these days of innovations. It gives me a chance to work on some of those things to make those improvements to try to get rid of some of the pain i'm feeling in my day-to-day life
0: the interesting thing too is the ability to perceive and understand that pain i think a lot of times when some of these solutions have happened obviously there's typescript where i i, I felt the pain with you um I, but something like autoreverter i just didn't know there was another way and so it was it was pain i was feeling but i didn't know i didn't have to right and there's, there's that interesting thing of pain that i understand can be solved it's frustrating pain that i just it's just how it is I just live with it. And then all of a sudden when something comes along that fixes that pain, it shows how horrible that thing really was to begin with.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny some of the things we just put up with because that's just what we do.
0: Yeah. I, I imagine, you know, being still fairly young in the industry, some of the things that I the work with and, and the tooling that I work with is just so good. Um, I imagine a lot of times when people started in the computer science industry, um they probably didn't think about those things really being pain. They just thought of it as the way it was until, you know, they saw someone else's tool that did it better or, or something. And, and slowly we've evolved to realizing that, Hey, we, some of this is painful and we we can solve it and get better at it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, some has been really good to allow us to do these day of innovation projects and and not just we talk about day of innovation, but, uh, that day can come outside of the official sanctioned day of innovation project. TypeScripter, Reverter are are both good examples of that. Um, But the value of innovation is huge. And and I think that's something that is really uh, prominent in in these discussions that are, man, I can't tell you the amount of hours we've saved because of these tools. And the cost uh, to, to build them is incredibly small relative. Um, and really, I hope for anybody listening that when you think about the investment that you put into innovation um, as a company, this is the result that you get. You get hours of benefit out of it. Even if every project doesn't pay off like this, the one that does can save your company months' worth of time in, right. in certain respects.
1: I want to also add that uh, when I started these projects, I didn't start with the intention to solve the world's problem. You know, I'm not trying to solve world hunger or anything. This is just one piece of... Uh, pain that I'm feeling, and I can solve it, and when I do this, a lot of times I'm not thinking about doing it for the entire internet, but then it usually evolves into that, like, okay, this has been really useful for us, now how can we make this better so that other people can take advantage of it? A
0: lot of times, too, it's not even... This is useful for us here now. I can go to the internet. A lot of times, it's this is useful on this project. I really wanted it on this project, so I use it here and then here and then like it. Yeah. It jumps around until all of a sudden it's like, well, this is almost naturally evolved, so it's useful everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it really is interesting to see how that organically happens.
1: Yeah. So don't get too wrapped up in making the perfect tool for everybody on every developer in the world. Uh, just do what makes your life better. And then if it works out for you, then think about how you can make it so that it's making other people's lives better, too.
0: Agreed. I think try and solve pain, uh, yeah. whatever it can be, if we can try and get into there and, and attempt to solve it. Even the attempts. I mean, uh, you you shared an awesome story about how in stuff you've done in the past really influenced Packrat, and you weren't solving necessarily the same problem, um, but the attempts to solve problems help you build on it to be able to solve problems more efficiently in the future. Yeah. So... All right, well, this has been an episode of the Centiva Development Software Development Podcast. We uh, appreciate you listening, and please hope you join us later. Thanks. And now to get out of here.